0: That was a great Bible reading. And it's great to be here with you again. Um, thank you uh, for having me. Thank you for um, uh, hearing the stories uh, that you'll hear uh, tonight. And, and thank you to, to Matthew, especially, for um, uh, his willingness um, to share the stories of persecuted Christians around the world. Let me pray as we look at God's Word together. Uh, our Heavenly Father, as we gather in this building tonight, Uh, we do not fear for our safety, we don't fear the police or the army coming in and causing harm to us, but our Heavenly Father, as we gather, many of our brothers and sisters meet in secret, meet at the great risk that their lives may come to an end as they gather as brothers and sisters. Father, we thank you for the privilege it is for us to gather now. Would you please speak to us and embolden us, remind us of your great love and faithfulness, and encourage us by the stories of our brothers and sisters in Iraq. We pray this, that you might be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Please uh, do keep your Bibles open to that passage there, 1 Peter uh, chapter 5. I wonder if you remember Walter Palmer. Walter Palmer was public enemy number one about this time a year ago. He was also the world's best-known dentist. Do you remember what got Walter Palmer famous? He was a dentist who travelled to a game reserve in Zimbabwe and killed a lion we all now know as Cecil. And that sparked outrage around the world and, of course, especially on social media, um, that Cecil had lost his life uh, to a dentist. And, in fact, everyone was uh, crying out for his blood to throw Walter to the lion's. But I heard at that time a very different perspective when a lady was interviewed on the radio. This lady had grown up as a child in Africa in a small village and she shared that every day they feared that a lion would turn up to their village and would tear them to pieces. For her and many like her around the world, lions aren't an exhibit or an attraction they're an enemy. They pose a very real threat to your life, your existence. Now of course, we uh, do not fear that when we step out of the building tonight that we may be devoured by a lion. That is reasonably unlikely. But the Bible is clear that we do have an enemy. He is like a lion, and he is the devil. Did you see that in verse 8? Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Now, that's a confronting verse, isn't it? If you are a Christian, you have an enemy. He is like a lion prowling around, roaring ferociously, exhibiting his power, looking for someone to devour. The lion, the lion hunts for dinner. What does your enemy want? Our enemy wants faith. He hunts faith. And he is constantly on the prowl to find it and devour it. Now, am I safe to assume that this is a spiritual reality that we don't think that much about in Sydney today? When was the last time you woke up, wandered into the kitchen, and as you were pouring the milk into your cornflakes, you thought, I better be careful today. I've got an enemy. And he's going to try and devour me. But it would change how you went about your day, wouldn't it? If you knew that there was an enemy out there, you wouldn't be casual or complacent. You'd be alert, sober minded, looking around. To see, because at any moment, your enemy might attack you. So what is it that we need to look out for? How is it that our enemy may try to attack? Well, as we saw in verse 9, our enemy's strategy is a worldwide strategy. His method is the same from Epping to Ethiopia. Take a look. Verse 9, resist him. Standing firm in the faith because you know the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. All around the world, Christians like you and I are suffering because of the devil's schemes. And while I don't know, while I don't need to remind any of us that there are many ways that we can suffer in this fallen world today, Peter has been clear in this letter that he has written to the church that Christians should expect to suffer in a special way. If you look at just the chapter before, in chapter 4, verse 12, Peter writes, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ So that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted because of the name of Christ, you are blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. Participating in the sufferings of Christ. Insulted because of the name of Christ. This suffering is called persecution. And it's the suffering that we experience solely because we love Jesus. We follow Jesus. Our allegiance is with Jesus. It's the suffering that Jesus talked about, he promised would happen in John 15. Hear these words. If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. Jesus was hated. We belong to Jesus, so we will be hated. Jesus was persecuted. We are his servants. We will be persecuted. This is the clear pattern that Jesus sets out that The Bible sets out. But I wonder, is this what you expect? If you are a Christian here tonight, do you expect to be hated because of what you believe? Do you expect to suffer for the name of Christ, to be insulted and despised and ridiculed and mocked and alienated and ill treated and left out and passed over and abused and perhaps even one day to die because Jesus is your Lord. Is that what you expect? Is that what you feel like you signed up for? And if you are here tonight and you are not yet a Christian, did you know that this is part of the deal? To be hated, to suffer because you have chosen to follow the Lord Jesus. These are sobering words. Faith in the Lord Jesus puts a big target on your back and through suffering, the devil seeks to devour your faith and he is on the prowl all over the world. I saw this firsthand When I visited Iraq back in May, as you heard, I travelled with Open Doors, uh, a tremendous organisation that exists to serve the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters around the world who we met with and said, uh, we feel like we've been forgotten. We feel like no one cares about us anymore or even knows that we're here. Well, Open Doors exists to represent those people and to share their stories and to raise support for them. And if you'd like to hear more about their ministry and how you might participate in caring for and supporting them, I'd love to come and speak with you um, after the service. Uh, Iraq is a country where the lion's roar has been deafening. In 2016, there is only one country in the world where it is more dangerous to be a Christian. Do you know where that would be? North Korea. North Korea is the only other nation in the world that is more dangerous for Christians. On the second day, uh, when we were in Iraq, we were driving along a a very long drive and we are on a deserted road and our uh, driver of the minibus called out to us and said, let me know if you see any black flags. And uh, at first, I thought he was joking, the flag of ISIS. But then I realised that He probably wasn't. Because the ISIS that we fear may one day do something terrible in Sydney is doing something terrible to Christians in Iraq every single day of the year. In just one night, back in 2014, 120,000 Christians fled the Nineveh Plain, a province of northern Iraq that was filled with many, many Christians. And the news that ISIS was on the move meant that all of these Christians packed up whatever belongings they could and ran for their lives. We met a lady um, and her husband and her three children who fled at 8pm. ISIS arrived that night at midnight. They only just escaped. She was nine months pregnant at the time of running away. When she arrived at the IDP camp, she gave birth straight away. Today, this is where they live. The caravan, although not caravanning as we would know it. A tiny metal hut with intermittent power, snow in winter, 50 degrees in summer. There is no work for her or for her husband. There is no school for their children. And honestly, there is no hope that their situation will improve In any material way until the day that they meet Jesus. And as we sat in her house, she said to us, What can you do for my situation? What do you say? What can I do for your situation? I couldn't look at her. The lion has roared. And for this family, following Jesus has cost them nearly everything. And there are tens of thousands of Christians all over Iraq with stories just like this. Christians who I was surprised to discover in my naivety are just like you and me. They go to school and work. They go to cafes and movies on the weekend. They have birthday parties and go on holidays. And now... They rely on handouts for food, sleep in a single room with up to 10 people on mattresses and have little more than the possessions they could gather together when they ran out the front door on the night that ISIS arrived. In Iraq, when we were there, we met with many, many of these brothers and sisters. And we heard the stories of ISIS and its unspeakable cruelty. Some of those stories we hear in the news, although most never makes it to television and newspapers. We met a woman whose husband and son had been captured by ISIS and who she hadn't heard from for many months. Now, can you imagine what it would be like for her at home each day wondering what ISIS might be doing to her husband and her son? But suffering takes many forms. We met so many beautiful children, children that reminded me of my own. Children who have nothing to do, no school to attend, no hope that they will ever get a job, who are stuck in these camps, whose parents despair at the lack of future for their children. We met this mother and her son. Her son had fallen over in the camp on something sharp and had deformed his eye. It was a mess. And the mother sat in her house crying. She says, I don't care about ISIS. I just care about my boy. I just want him to be well. But with no money, no medical supplies, no doctors nearby... There is really nothing that she can do to make him better. We went to this building that Mike referred to as IDP Tower. And as we were there, we were followed around by different people. So many of these Christians were hungry for us to hear their stories and hungry for us to go back home and tell them. And a man followed us around constantly And he said to us towards the end, crying out in anguish, we just want to live like humans. What do you say to that? And he looked at us and he put his arm around his boy, who was probably 10 years old, and he said, my boy, my boy, he was at the top of his class and now he has nothing. He was despairing. We visited this camp, which was the worst camp that we went to. It was in a desolate area, and if I didn't know better, I would say it was God-forsaken. It was bakingly hot. And no one had moved in here yet. It had just been established, and I'm glad that they hadn't, because I would have cried if I'd seen them, because I couldn't bear to see someone living in a place like that. Because not only is it a miserable place to live, but if you look out across the plain, you can see the smoke rising from the ISIS front lines as they seek to capture the neighbouring village. So these Christians have come or will come to this place for refuge. And throughout the day and the night, they will see in the distance the very people who are after their lives. And you might think, as I did, that, well, perhaps one day ISIS will be defeated and everyone will just get back to life as normal and uh, return to going to school and work and everything else. But as one man reminded us from his story, as he escaped his home, he received a call from his Muslim friend and neighbour who said, your house and your business are mine now. Don't you come back. So even even if he returns, even if ISIS is defeated, he still has no home to return to. And what I've shared and what I've seen is only a tiny snapshot. Iraq, a nation that once had 1.5 million Christians, and today may have as little as 150,000, as many have been have been killed or have fled. And did you know that today, today, persecution of Christians is worse than it has ever been in history. An average of 100,000 Christians have been killed every year for the past 10 years, simply because they follow Jesus. That's 11 Christians every hour, every day of the week. For so many Christians around the world, following Jesus comes at incredible cost. The enemy is unceasing in his efforts to devour their faith. And you know what? None of this suffering would have to be endured if these Christians did one thing. Just leave Jesus alone. Don't trust him. Don't talk about him. Don't meet with other people who love him. Don't treasure him. Stop doing that and the enemy will walk away. There will be no more suffering. This is the goal of the enemy, to persecute, to suffer until we say enough and give up and stop following and stop listening and stop obeying Jesus. But brothers and sisters, do you know what I saw in Iraq I saw our brothers and sisters doing what verse 9 calls each of us to do resisting the enemy and standing firm. The most confronting thing I saw when I first arrived in Iraq was how many crosses there are everywhere. Crosses dangle from rearview mirrors, they're painted on houses, they are erected on the top of buildings, there are fish signs on the back screens of windows. Everywhere you go, crosses. Everywhere you go, Christians are saying, I'm with Jesus. Perhaps in the one place in the world where we would say, okay, let's cut them a bit of slack for just flying a little bit under the radar with their faith. Christians are standing up and saying, you cannot stop me. I'm with Jesus. Standing firm in their faith. The most... A striking example was seen on the second day. We were 14 kilometres away from a village that um, ISIS had attacked the previous week and killed 200 people and they were still fighting in that area. And just down the road from that front line was a house that was painted inside and out with a mural of Jesus. You couldn't miss it. Bright colours, Jesus, 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 everywhere. When ISIS comes up that road, it's the first thing they'll see. What are they doing? Standing firm in their faith. I discovered that the first thing that Christians do when they move into these camps is to find a place to meet as a church. This is what they want to do. It's how they draw comfort, meeting with other believers, hearing from God, praying together. And I was moved when I visited one of these churches to see a sign sitting up on the back door that said these words, do not be afraid. As the Christians walk out of church each week, that is the last thing that they see, do not be afraid afraid I met this family you'll see there on the right uh, it's a husband and um, his son there's a wife and another child as well they have been on the move displaced from their home for 10 years they have been running from persecutors for 10 years and we ask them what has this experience done to your faith and the father responded almost immediately and with some kind of defiance and said our faith increased as we saw this like a test. We thank God that our faith is grown. The wife's sister who lives with them in the caravan then said we think God was maybe showing us all of the things in life that were getting in the way of our relationship with him. And now here in the camp we are closer to him than ever before. I wonder what things might be getting in the way of our relationship with Jesus. We met a man who was incredibly wealthy. He owned multiple properties, he owned a business, and he'd lost it all. But you know what he said? He said, now I know Jesus. Not like before, Before I was happy back then, I had money, I had a big house, I was a rich man, but I had no love. Isis was a gift from God because I now know the love of God more than ever before. Wow. I could not get that out of my ears. Isis was a gift from God. Can you imagine us ever saying that? But here it is, people who have experienced that firsthand. And not only suffered at the hands of ISIS, but are now able to give thanks as they have seen God's faithfulness at drawing them closer to Him through this suffering. And what an encouragement and a challenge it is for us Christians in Sydney today to hear these stories. Of course, our nation is nothing like Iraq, our lives are not under threat because of our faith in Jesus. Few of us have lost jobs or homes or savings or even friends because we believe in Jesus. But I'm sure that you've noticed that our culture is increasingly hostile to Christians, to the Christian faith and to all that we believe. In the media, Christians are frequently mocked and ridiculed. We are scorned for being backward and bigoted. And we are increasingly considered not only deluded but dangerous and a force to be eliminated, to be removed from the public domain. We are told that what we believe isn't just different, it's offensive, it's wrong, it's evil, and it must not be taught or tolerated. Slowly but surely, it's becoming more and more uncomfortable to be a Christian and to speak openly about the hope that we have in Australia today. The lion's teeth are, are slowly sinking in on us. I'm sure some of us have experienced this persecution already. But you know what hit me in this trip? I was struck that I don't want to talk about Jesus for fear that I might get bitten, might get bitten. In Iraq, they have been torn to shreds by the lion and they do not stop talking about him. I read this quote from a persecuted Christian and I can't get it out of my head. It's a word to us in the West. She said, don't you ever give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution. Don't you ever give up in freedom what we would never give up in persecution?" So let me encourage us as followers of the Lord Jesus with all the freedom that we have to be bold and unashamed in proclaiming him and living for him. Leave a Bible on your desk at work. Pray in public in a cafe with your Christian friend. Walk out of the movie that dishonours the Lord Jesus. Invite your neighbour, your friend, your sister, anyone to church, talk about Jesus on Facebook. Tell anyone who is willing to listen about the hope that you have in the risen Lord Jesus and the forgiveness that continues to be offered to them. But brothers and sisters, as you do this, do not be surprised if you are hated Do not be surprised if you are insulted, if it is painful, if it is costly, if things are taken away from you because you live for Jesus. Do not be surprised. Resist the devil and stand firm. And take heart from our brothers and sisters in Iraq and all over the world. See from their experiences that Jesus is worth it. He is worth everything. He is absolutely worth it. And in the midst of suffering, you will draw closer to him and experience his love and his kindness in a way that would never have happened before. And remember, brothers and sisters, that this is just for a little while. It's just for a little while. Soon, Jesus is coming back and it will all be over and all that pain will be a distant memory because we'll be with Jesus in eternal glory and it will be wonderful. Now, the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus, will personally restore, establish, strengthen and support you after you have suffered a little. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen.